0: Truth is not something you make up, it's something you discover. It is something that God has revealed in His holy, infallible word. There's no room for a self righteous lifestyle, there's no room for selfish ambition, there's no room for a person who's not willing to renounce their sin because until you're willing to change your mind about sin, you'll perish.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible-teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're nearing the end of our study in the book of Revelation, and although our last message was from chapter 22, today Dr. Brogy returns to chapter 2 as he asks a question that is not only relevant for our time, but which will become even more so as we conclude our study in this last book of the Bible.
0: The sermon topic, as you can see on your note taking outline, is your conversion real? I thought about titling this message, Are You Wheat or Are You Tear? An important question, and one that is really highlighted in different ways in the book of Revelation. Here in Revelation 2 and verse 7, Jesus said this to the church in Ephesus He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, we studied just a few weeks ago in Revelation 22 that all true believers someday will eat of the tree of life. And here the implication is clear that if you are converted, you will indeed eat from the tree of life. But if you are not converted, you will not eat from that tree. Look what Jesus said in Revelation 2 and verse 11 to the church in Smyrna. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The implication is clear, is that not all will be of that group who overcomes, and so they will experience the second death, what the Bible calls retribution in the lake of fire. Turn over a page to Revelation 3 and verse 10. Revelation 3, verse 10. Listen to what Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. This is an extremely healthy church, the church at Philadelphia, and Jesus promises the Christians there that because they have perseverance, which is a mark of real conversion, they will not be here for that time of testing. It's never happened in the history of the world, but it's going to happen. A time of testing which will come across the whole world. They will not be here for the great tribulation period. Listen to what Jesus says in Revelation 21 and verse 7. Listen to how he describes the truly saved. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now understand, you're not saved by perseverance, and you're not saved by overcoming the lures and the temptations and the pull of the world. But Jesus makes it very clear that if you are saved, you will persevere, you will overcome, you will go to heaven, you will eat of the tree of life, and you will never see the lake of fire. The Lord Jesus said this not only of believers living during the church age, but he also said it of believers who will come to know him during the tribulation age. He is speaking Matthew 24 of the time of tribulation that will come on the whole earth, and Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 13, "'But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved.'" We've seen that during this period of time, most believers will pay for their confession of faith with their own life. But that a true believer will not renounce Christ, he will indeed endure to the end. Christ will indeed save him. Now, you may be asking yourself a question well, how do I know if I really do persevere? How do I know if I will overcome until the day I die or when Christ returns? How can I know that I will endure to the end? And that's a very, very important question to ask and answer. And I'm very pleased that so many of you have come up to me or written me, a few have called me and have asked me that question, that the revelation in our study of it has raised some questions in your own mind about salvation. That's a good thing, because now is the time to ask. Peter said it in 2 Peter 1 and verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling in choosing you. You want to make certain of God's calling on your life, that indeed you are chosen. Who are the chosen? Who are the elect? The elect of the whosoever will, the non-elect of the whosoever won't. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul put it this way to the church at Corinth test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Is your conversion real? Are you wheat or are you a tear? Now, this is an important question to ask now because the moment the church is raptured, you will not be able to ask that. You will be confirmed in your unbelief if you are not a true believer. None of those who hear the gospel before the church is caught up will be able to believe the gospel after we are gone. Now is the time to ask, am I wheat or am I tear? Am I a member of the sheep or am I a goat? Am I regenerate or unregenerate? Because it will be too late to ask in all of eternity. So I want to use as the launching pad Matthew chapter 7. Turn there, would you, to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Matthew 7 brings to the end the most famous sermon ever preached, called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus on a mountain, on a large hill, we would say today maybe, there in the Sea of Galilee, some of you have stood with me to the very place where Jesus gave the sermon. And it's the only place on all of the Sea of Galilee where the acoustics are perfect, where you can stand and you can preach literally to thousands of people and you can be heard because of the way geographically God designed that little piece of land there on the Sea of Galilee. Without question, this is the best known part of Christ's teaching, but probably the least understood and certainly the least obeyed. We are living in a rather challenging day, but I'm not surprised by it because in the last of the last days, God told us it would be a time of apostasy, where there would be a falling away, setting the stage for the apostasy of apostasies when the Antichrist comes. And so Jesus reminds us in this sermon that there's a difference between numbers in a church and real conversions. There's a difference between getting people into the kingdom and getting the kingdom into people. And the difference lies in the foundation, and the foundation you have will determine whether or not you will persevere, whether you will be an overcomer. In this section of Scripture, if you remember, Jesus spoke of two houses, the difference— was in the foundation they had. One builder built his house upon the rock. The other built his house upon sifting sands. Both appeared to have the same kind of home. They both faced the same storm, but the outcome was quite different. And so Jesus gives us this sermon not only to test our justification, but also to help us in the process of sanctification, Justification is a truth that happens to you the moment you're saved, born again, where you are declared righteous. Not simply just as if you had never sinned, but just as if you had always obeyed. God deems you a holy one. Sanctification is that process whereby God makes that true in our everyday experience. And so Jesus will teach in this portion of Scripture that even for the true child of God, as we obey what we know, we will grow and we will deepen in that sanctification process. Now this morning, I hope to be able to ask and answer two questions. First and foremost, is your conversion real? You would hate to think that it is real and then die and find out it was not. And then secondly, if it is real, are you ready for the coming storms of apostasy? because they are upon us, and the wind seems to be picking up. Matthew chapter 7, follow along, beginning now in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves." Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts Our passage today is dealing with a critically important issue and that we live in a day where people are hearing the word of God and not really heeding it. And the phenomena that Jesus predicted that is upon us in our day is spoken of in the Olivet Discourse. We're in the last of the last days in the final chapter of human history before the second coming of Christ to the earth. There will be growing apostasy people who outwardly say one thing, but inwardly they are quite deficient. Individuals who, in Paul's words, have a form of godliness, but they've denied its power. They don't give evidence of a birth from above. And it's a serious problem that has walked straight now into the church of uh, the evangelical church. Dropout Christians, collapsing saints, vanishing church members, people who ought to be standing up, but people who are folding up, people who make a profession of faith, they get baptized, they're church members for a while, but then when trouble or persecution or heartache or temptation comes, the storms of life, to use Jesus' metaphor, they simply wash out. They are superficial saints. They do not have the genuine quality of being born from above. Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe you are struggling with this issue in your heart today. And you may think that everything is just fine, but when the storms come, you'll be gone. Now, that's not God's heart. God's heart is that none should perish, but that all come to genuine, real repentance. Now, let me, for a moment, before we dig into the finer points, give you an overview of the text. Here in verses 13 through 27, it's the end of a sermon that started all the way back in chapter 5. Jesus brings the sermon to a conclusion using four couplets of truth. You see, up to this point in the sermon, he has spoken of two kinds of righteousness. He has spoken of two treasures. He has spoken of two masters, and he will conclude with two foundations— Now the time for a decision has come. And so here in verses 13 and 14, he describes two ways, the broad way and the narrow way. He describes two teachers in verses 15 and 16, the true teacher and the false teacher. And then in verses 21 through 23, he describes two professions, the real and the phony. And then in verses 24 through 27, he brings it to a conclusion by describing two builders, the wise builder and the foolish builder. And in each of these pairs, Jesus is contrasting the true from the false. And so like every good preacher, Jesus asks people to make a decision. They've heard him preach, but now they must decide. Now there are three principles by which Christ calls people to make a decision in this great sermon that I do not want you to miss. Three principles by which he calls us to stand strong in the midst of the coming storms. First, I want you to see there is a decision to make. There's a decision to make. And concerning this decision, first I want us to see there are two ways to choose from. Two ways in which to choose Let's read again verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, if you will notice, there are only two ways, two paths which forces everyone listening to the sermon there on this mount where he gives it, and everyone listening to my voice today, to the words of Christ that we are studying, it forces everyone to make a decision. Now God throughout the Tanakh, as Jews call their Old Testament, Tanakh, that's a new word to you, it's Torah, Nephilim, the prophets, Torah, the first five books, Nephilim, and then the Ketuvim, which is the wisdom literature. So they don't call it the Old Testament. It's the only book they have. They call it the Tanakh. But throughout the Old Testament, God repeatedly speaks of two ways, two roads, two paths. For instance, Moses, at the end of his life in Deuteronomy 30, said this, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity Likewise, the prophet Jeremiah said, you, you shall also say to this people, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. In Psalm 1, a psalm that our children memorize on Wednesday night, it speaks of the way of righteousness and the way of the wicked. Those on the way of righteousness are those who delight in God's law, showing they have real conversion, and therefore they bear fruit and they prosper in the true spiritual sense. The way of the wicked, by contrast, are like the chaff who listen to ungodly counsel. They typically become scoffers. They make fun of God's word, and ultimately they perish. So you see this contrast throughout the Word of God. There's a narrow road that leads to life, namely heaven, and then there is the broad road that leads to destruction, namely death and hell. And so God the Son reminds us of a truth that God the Holy Spirit led men of old to write about in the Old Testament. There have always been two ways, a narrow way and a broad way. And Christ is presenting a truth. There is a gate. There's a way, there's a road, there's a destination, and there's a group of travelers. And so on one pathway, you have a wide gate. As people move down a broad road, many travelers, and their end is destruction or the lake of fire. On the other pathway, you have a narrow gate, a narrow road, few travelers, and their final destination is heaven in fellowship with the living God, which forces us to ask a question. Why are there so many people who are on the broad way, having entered through the narrow gate? And the answer is simple. There's no obstruction. Now, the Greek word that is translated here, wide, modifying this word road, means spacious, roomy, not crowded, as it's used in other places in the New Testament. And the second word, the Greek word translated broad, modifying uh, gate is often translated in other contexts as easy. And so some of your English Bibles may read the wide and easy road. At this gate, you can bring your sin, you can bring your selfishness, you can bring your self-centeredness, you can bring your bigotry. There's no restrictions at all in going down this broad road. Almost anything is allowed. There are no demands. And so the wide gate and the broad road allows travelers basically to live after the inclinations of their own heart. There's no curbs. There's no boundaries. There's no real standards. And so people on this road have superficial religious lives often. Sometimes they're called hypocrites. Sometimes they are highly outwardly religious, but morally, inwardly, they are deficient in the eyes of God because we all fall short of the glory of God. And so the sinful choices <clears throat> that are found on this road, they're not learned, they just come naturally. You follow the implications of your own heart. Now, I have no doubt that there were probably many people listening on this day, many Jewish people, we know they were present in the audience as you read the broader context, who said, I'm a son of Abraham. I'm a Jew. I'm a member of God's covenant community. I am certainly okay with God. And there are some who were probably listening who said, well, we follow the teachings of the Pharisees and they had a righteousness that was external only, where if you made the right formations and wash your hands in a certain way and use certain words, you were okay. And there are a lot of people like that today. They are outwardly religious, but inwardly they are lost. And it's an easy way, it's a popular way, because all I have to do is conform externally, I don't have to conform internally. And the gate is wide because there's no limit to the amount of luggage you can carry with you through this gate. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change your mind about anything. You can carry your sin and your self-righteousness and pride, and you can find a sense of comfort in that. But remember, the end of this road is that of destruction, not annihilationism but the eternal wrath of God. The Lord Jesus did not believe in no hell-raw bell that many are embracing today, that in the end, everybody goes to heaven. He didn't believe that at all. In fact, interestingly, the Living Bible paraphrases the portion of this verse with these words, the highway to hell is broad, and the gate is wide, enough for all the multitudes who choose its easy way. But clearly here in verse 14, if you will notice, there's another gate, another road, another destination. It is the small and narrow way. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And notice there are few who find it. The Lord Jesus anticipated that true believers would be a member of a despised minority movement. And we are told on this road there are few. On the other road that is wide and easy there are many. Now, different English translations use the words small and narrow interchangeably. And while it is true they are related, the two Greek words that God puts in the original are specifically different. The Greek word that is translated here, small, stenos, refers to a narrow, to a thin, to a restricted place. And the second word that is translated narrow is a word that is related to the word uh, that we get for tribulation in the New Testament. It speaks of difficulty. Tribulation in the Bible is not just a trial you go through. The Bible makes a distinction between trials and tribulations. It is true that all tribulations are trials, but not, not all trials are tribulations. Thalipsis is a word that refers to tribulation, hardship that comes because you confess Jesus as your personal Lord. And the word that's related to it here, tholepo, is a word that means hard or difficult. And so the New King James uses the word difficult for the second word. The ESV and the Net Bible render it hard. In essence, it is a hard way because very often as you truly, genuinely identify with Jesus, you will be rejected. The King James calls it the straight and narrow way. And the multitudes here that are on the broad road, they're carefree, they think everything is fine, and they give no thought for the fact that they're headed for an eternal precipice that once they have crossed that line, they will never be able to cross back over. And so the narrow road is a road where people have changed their mind. Now we might ask a question, why is the gate so narrow and why are there so few people who are on it? And the answer is very simple. The small gate, the constricted gate as we might render it, is so straight that there's no room for any kind of deviation. It has boundaries, why? Because truth is not something you make up, it's something you discover. It is something that God has revealed in his holy infallible word. There's no room for a self-righteous lifestyle. There's no room for selfish ambition. There's no room for a person who's not willing to renounce their sin, because until you're willing to change your mind about sin, metanoia, metanoia, the verb and the noun means to change your mind, we render it, repent. Unless you are willing to repent, you'll perish. And I say, willing, not able, willing. People make sometimes repentance say, work. It is not a work. The one who sins is a slave to sin. But you must be willing to change your mind about sin, call what God calls evil, evil, or you have no need for a genuine Savior. savior. And when you enter this narrow road, it's like entering a turnstile into a stadium only one at a time, because only you can make that decision. Your parents cannot make it for you. You're not a Christian because your grandparents are. Each one of us must make a personal decision for Jesus Christ. Now, you see, the people who are on this road have discovered that they have a need for a kind of righteousness that they can never, ever earn. The key verse in the whole sermon found here in Matthew 5 through 7 is Matthew 5 and verse 20. Jesus said, "'For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven.'" You see, the Pharisees had a righteousness that was outward. They were the most religious people of the day. Three different times during every day of the week, they went to the temple, they prayed for an hour, they fasted two days out of seven, they gave a tenth of all that they had. It was a righteousness that was only outward, but it never touched the heart. And God wants us to understand that the kind of righteousness we need is so high... You cannot achieve it on your own. The truth is, as Jeremiah 17 in verse 9 brings out, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? People say, well, I just follow the inclinations of my heart. I just follow my conscience. Your conscience can be seared. It can become callous. It can become an unreliable guide. And so people who are on the narrow way recognize they need a different kind of righteousness that comes from a birth from above.
1: Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Dr. Brogy will expand on that when we continue our message titled, Is Your Conversion Real? To listen to this or any of the messages from our study of the Revelation, Use the Search the Scriptures app for Apple and Android devices or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478. And for today's program, just ask for message REV68. We've added more information about our upcoming trip to Israel online. If you've never visited the Holy Land... Or if you would like to experience that amazing journey again, join us as Dr. Brogi leads two separate trips in late September and in early October. Find out all the details at our special website, stsisraeltour.com. And on Sunday, February 7th at 1 p.m. Eastern, Dr. Brogi will host a live brief informational meeting about the trip. The website again is stsisraeltour.com. We hope you can join us on this amazing excursion where the Bible literally comes alive. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll continue our message, Is Your Conversion Real? Join us then as we search the Scriptures.